Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts and impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, this morning we come to the last sermon in the series called Toxic, which has been a study of sin. And I must say to you that this morning is the most sobering sermon of all. When you see a title of a sermon called When God Gives You Over you realize that we are in uh, deep and difficult waters. Could you imagine if you were never able to use your cell phone again? I mean, some of us perhaps would like to imagine that. But for a moment, imagine your life without one. A Michigan woman has been banned from using her cell phone or using a cell phone for the rest of her life. Last September, in court, she stood trial for striking a cyclist while she was texting, killing the cyclist. And so the judge issued the judgment, and the judgment was no more cell phone or any device on which you can text for this woman. If she should try to purchase one, she would be in violation of the judge's order and of the judgment. Judge McDonald said, I don't think she has a right to have a cell phone. I think it's a privilege. And interestingly enough, the idea for his 
judgment came from this woman who was only 35 years old from her husband. His name is Jordan. He does believe that she is remorseful. However, uh, he believes that justice ought to have been done. And he says, I thought the judge thought through it very well and looked at all the factors on both sides. In addition to losing her cell phone, she uh, spent six months in jail, 24 months of probation, 150 hours of community service, 20 hours of driver's education classes, must pay about $16,000, in fines and fees... And so we hear that and we think that seems pretty fair. Someone died. Someone lost their life. A husband no longer has his wife. Uh, It seems actually perhaps kind of small. But you have that idea and then uh, you get to Romans 1 and you stumble a little. Who, who, Who does God think he is to have wrath? I thought God was a God of love. And yet here uh, we see God depicted as a God of wrath. And so the same person who uh, was fine with uh, the judgment that comes down on the woman for uh, killing someone while she is driving all of a sudden struggles with the God who perhaps has wrath. And what is wrath anyway? John Stott writes that God's wrath is His holy hostility to evil. His holy hostility to evil. And here, Paul says, the wrath of God is being revealed against all. What does all mean, church? Yes, it means all. God's wrath is being revealed or unveiled against all what? unrighteousness and ungodliness against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. The word ungodliness means a lack of reverence for God. And the word unrighteousness means a lack of respect for others. God's wrath is revealed uh, um, uh, on those who do not reverence him, nor do they respect others. And I must say to you this morning that one begets the other. If you do not reverence God, you will not respect others. Let me say that again. If you do not reverence God, you will not respect others. And so there are three exchanges that take place here. And as these exchanges unfold, uh, we see God responding with his wrath. And so we see the reasons that God would demonstrate his hostility to evil. Uh, Let's march through those. Number one, God gives you over when you exchange his glory for images. God gives you over when you exchange His glory for images. Uh, Let me talk about what it means to be given over. The phrase is kind of a military phrase. If you're fighting in a battle and you don't think you're going to win, you surrender yourself. You give yourself over. When God gives you over, He gives you over to the enemy. He steps back and gives you over. So let's look at what this looks like as it unfolds. 
God gives you over when you exchange his glory for images. Here, verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. So what we discover here is that God's creation points to a creator. All of creation shouts and says, somebody made this. Creation does that. And I must say to you this morning that the last 150 years in our culture, in our history, have seen an all-out attack on God as creator. And if we can somehow unseat God as the creator, then what we begin to do is to unravel. It's like the top thread in a garment. You begin to unravel and unravel the entire garment and it splits apart in half. Why? Because if God didn't create this and it happened by circumstance or by accident, then there is no beginner. There is no creator. There is no higher power to whom we look. And if there isn't one, then you could do anything you want, anytime you want, anywhere you want. It just doesn't matter anymore. And here it's clear. When you refuse to recognize God as creator, you exchange his glory for images. His glory for images. Could you imagine if last week we were in here and all we saw was wood and wood, right? Wood, wood and screen. And so we come in here this morning and we see everything we see. And I stand up and say to you, well, you know, we don't know what happened. We showed up this morning and there it was. What would you think? Well, he's lost his mind. Why? Because this had to exist in somebody's mind. It's Dave. This exists in his mind. And then uh, crews of people come in to put it together, to make it work, to build it, to, to, to make sure the pyramid turns and this fog screen here. If you got here early enough, you saw an image projected from the back into this fog screen. This thing uh, was designed by a couple of yahoos from this church. What of them, Shane, is sitting right here. Shane Holland and B.G. Gillum put their minds together, figured this thing out. It has, believe it or not, 9,000 drinking straws in it. No lie, right, Nikki? She glued most of them in there. That's what the fog, I presume, comes up through. But it's all underneath this grate here. Do you know this morning that God created fog without nary a drinking straw? Isn't that amazing? Like he didn't say, hey, Gabe, hey, Mike, go get me some straws. It's fog day. No, he just created fog because he's God and he can. And when we begin to lose that, when we begin to lose that, we lose sight of a creator. But God is the God of Mount Everest and he is the God of the deep canyons and he is the God of the vast oceans. He is the God of the never ending deserts. God is the creator. Amen. He's an awesome, creative God. 
Oh, the psalmist in Psalm 19 says this. Many of you know it. The heavens do what? Declare. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them He has set a tent for the sun. If you back up to verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the what, class? The glory of God. What does Paul say they do? They exchange the what? Glory of God for images. What is glory? It's an unusual word for us today. We don't use it often. It means uh, weight. It means weight. Someone's glory is their weightiness. God's weightiness is seen in all of creation. What does that look like? Well, let me give you some names and you tell me what their glory is. I'll just give you a name. You shout back to me what their glory is. Michael Phelps. Swimming. Michael Jordan. Basketball. Babe Ruth. William Shakespeare. For all the nerds in the room. Like myself, Phil Mickelson, Abraham Lincoln, president, slavery, freedom. That's their glory. It's what they're known for. So what happens when you exchange God's glory for images? You, you take what he's known for. You take his weightiness and you decide to worship something or someone else. It could be. A boyfriend, a girlfriend, a job, a career, a sport, your body, your ideal marriage. Oh, the list is long, isn't it? So many things we can worship. So many things we can choose to worship and choose to glorify. They exchange God's glory for images, immortality for mortality, and God himself for human beings. Secondly, God gives you over when you exchange his truth for a lie. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I want to, to make this distinction. In, in the first exchange, they seem to worship creation images, right? In the second, they worship themselves or other people. You say, that seems so strange. Oh, but it's so common. You say, surely not. I'll convince you of how common it is in our culture to worship ourselves or to worship other people. So I went this week and Googled the top 100 love songs of all time. And if you're you're ready to hear some worship, here it is. Number one, Endless Love, Diana Ross. All right? Listen to the words of this. My love, there's only you in my life. The only thing that's right. My first love, you're every breath I take. You're every step I make. Does that sound worship? And uh, I'm kidding. All right. (laughs) 
All right, so number three. Here's the number three song. Just in case you didn't think that was worshipful, here we go. It's like you're screaming and no one can hear. You almost feel ashamed that someone could be that important. That without them, you feel like nothing. No one will ever understand how much it hurts. You feel hopeless, like nothing can save you. And when it's over and it's gone, you almost wish that you could have all that bad stuff back so that you could have the good. That's the number three, according to this website, top love song of all times. Do you think there's a little worship going on there? All right. Little Celine Dion. Because you love me. All right. We kind of picture ourselves swaying. You were my strength. All right. When I was weak. You were my voice when I couldn't speak. You were my eyes when I couldn't see. You saw the best there was in me. You can tell they weren't married yet. <laughs> and everybody said? Amen. Amen. You lifted me up when I couldn't reach. You gave me faith because I believed. Like I could preach this. I'm everything I am because you loved me. You gave me wings and made me fly. You touched my hand. I could touch the sky. I lost my faith. You gave it back to me. You said no star was out of reach. I'm everything I am because you loved me. And that's worship. That's worship. We If we watch enough television and go to enough chick flicks, we want that knight in shining armor. We want that person to complete us. Do we not? We want that perfect man. We want that perfect woman. We... Exchange God's truth for a lie. What does God do? Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, speaking clearly here about homosexuality and lesbianism, for their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the man likewise gave up natural relations with women and were, this is a key word, consumed with, consumed with passion. Meaning, I can't live without you. Meaning, I can't make it without you. Consumed with. uh, Counseling calls this codependency. Scripture calls it idolatry. Consumed with passion for one another, men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Ed Welch in his book, When God is Big and People Are, When God is Small and People Are Big, says this. You say, Jerry, how do I know this is where I am? How do I know? What is the test? Here's a good test. We are more concerned, when we are more concerned about looking stupid, a fear of people, than we are about acting sinfully, a fear of God. That's when you know people are big and God is small. When your number one concern is looking dumb in front of others, but you're fine any old way you look in front of God, you know people are big and God is small. Third, God gives you over when you don't acknowledge him. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge, 
Now, what does this word acknowledge mean? Well, yesterday, Trent and Hannah and I and Cindy Guardian, uh, who lives at Riverside, joined us. And we went to Riverside and we went with Cindy because she knew all the homes for kids lived. And so it's a mobile home park, and we went door to door uh, where the kids live and invited them to kids camp. And we're going to take the van and pick them up. So we're walking down the way, and when we are, Trent says, that's Raul. And I said, Trent, you ought to speak to him. No, Dad. Raul doesn't talk to people. I said, come on, Trent. Sure, surely he does. And so we keep walking, and we get closer to Raul. And I said, Trent, you've got to talk to Raul. No, Dad, he's not that way. He's at school. He doesn't talk to people. I said, Trent, come on. And finally, we get right beside him, and I said, Trent. You know, when you start talking and you don't open your teeth, <laughs> kids, that's when we're serious, right? I said, Trent, you've got to talk to Raul. He said, okay. So he says, Raul. And Raul turned and went. And Trent said, I told you. That's all he did. I mean, it wasn't pretty either, was it, Trent? No. Like, he wasn't happy to see us. It was That is not the meaning of the word acknowledge here. The word acknowledge implies accept. To accept. When they did not accept or acknowledge him. He gave them over to a debased or a depraved mind. It means unable to think straight Stott again brilliant on this passage says their depraved mind did not lead them to to immorality but to antisocial practices we'll see them there are 21 vices listed here Uh, it's hard to categorize them but i want to help you out four general sins that begins with all manner of unrighteousness evil covetousness and malice all means all, just all kinds of, uh, of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, and malice. And then we get five sins that have to do with broken human relationships. Listen to these, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And then we get two sins that are often overlooked. Oh, they're not so bad. But I would just say to you, these sins have done more to wreck churches and families and friends than any other sins. Gossips and slanderers. Gossips and slanderers. I love the way Philip's words this. He says, gossips are whisperers behind doors. Slanderers are stabbers in the back. People who with their words do unthinkable damage. And then there are four related to pride. Haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful. And then this next one seems so apropos for today and this time in our culture. Inventors of evil. We were headed to Atlanta when the news broke of the attack in Nice, France. And when I saw that news, I thought, who sat around 
trying to figure out of how he could wait until families with children, more than 50 children injured in this attack, families with children would be out celebrating uh, France's Independence Day, our, their version of our July 4th. Uh, wonderful time, families unaware. Let me get a large truck, fill it with explosives, and just drive it down through the middle of crowds and send people scurrying in their way. The last 15 years have seen the modern day invention of evil escalate, have they not? People do things we never ever thought we would hear about. That when we hear them, a sane mind, remember God gives them over to a what? A debased, depraved mind, unfit, unable to think. A sane mind, you can't wrap your mind around it. And then whoever would have thought that the next phrase would show up after inventors of evil. Disobedient to parents. Let me address that to both parents and kids for a moment. First of all, to you parents, you as mom or dad in the room of a child, a preschooler, a child, a teenager, a college student, if they're living under your roof or they're on your dime, guess what? Your dad and your mom, you call the shots. Don't be afraid to do that. You say the yeses. You say the noes. Your kids are not your best friends. They're your kids. It is not your job to be their best friend. They've got friends all over school. It is your job to be the authority figure in their lives. God has put you in their lives for their sanctification. Guess what? No one else, no one else in their lives in your place but you. Amen, parents? You're it. God has no surrogates over here that he wants to put in your place in your kids' lives. It is your job to speak truth into them. Your job to do that. There is no place for abandonment and fear. And and, and don't fall for this but my friends. If they so like their friends, they can go live with them. Don't fall for that. My friend's parents let them do this. My friend's parents let, well, then let your friend's parents pay your bills, right? So no. And kids, listen to me for a moment. The beginning of rebellion isn't blowing up a building. The beginning of rebellion is 13 years old when you think you know more than your mom and your dad. That's the beginning point. That's the point at which rebellion begins to stir up in you and you think you know it better than they or you're, you're 15 and, and you figured it all out and your parents don't even know how to do social media right. Like, who are these old fogies anyway? They just bring you their phone straight from Verizon and say, teach me.
And if you begin a practice then of rebellion, listen to me. Don't think that all of a sudden you're going to become an adult and respect police and respect other authorities. You will not. We have a generation of parents who have produced a generation of kids who lack reverence for God and respect for each other. Well, that was fun. Um, Here's how he ends. Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. These words rhyme in Greek. J.B. Phillips says, without brains, honor, love, or pity. Wow. I want you to imagine that person. If a person has no brains, no honor, no love, no pity, he'll get in as an 18-year-old a box truck and drive it into a crowd and laugh while he kills them until he is shot dead. God gives you over when you don't acknowledge him. Imagine that you're headed down Highway 70. As you're headed down the highway, a praise team is going to come up. But you're headed down Highway 70, and it's been a torrential, awful rain. It's been horrible. And as you're headed down Highway 70, what you don't realize is what I realize. Someone has called me, and and if you're familiar enough with 70, if you go keep going down, uh, you'll get to uh, you'll see Riverside Convenience Store on the right, the Animal Hospital on the left, and there's a bridge there that's fairly tall, and underneath that bridge flows the Catawba River, and so you uh, you're going to Marion. And as you're going to Marion, this downpour, this cloudburst has come and the waters have swelled up beyond the river's borders and they have completely compromised the bridge, washing it out. And you're headed down 70, rain still falling, but you're still going. And I realize it and I look out the front doors and I see that cars are headed straight toward Marion and I run out to the road and I begin to scream at the cars, the bridge is out, the bridge is out. Why in the world would I do that in the driving rain? Why would I do that as my clothes are being matted to my body? It's, it's because there's a, in that car a dad, a mom, a couple of kids. And if somebody doesn't tell them the bridge is out, they'll careen to their deaths. So I scream and I yell because in that car could be a couple who met in college and decided to get married and they're engaged, about to be married and they love one another and they've never experienced the joys of having children. And if I don't scream, if I don't yell, if somebody doesn't say something, they'll careen to their deaths in the flooding, raging waters of the Catawba River. And so I'm out there screaming. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. 
You see, if you back up to verse 16 before we started in verse 18, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Everyone. I'm not ashamed. Neil, if you'll put that up for us. I'm not ashamed. Uh, uh, no, th- there we go. Th- to, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's everybody. Jews and Gentiles alike. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That statement, that very statement is God screaming, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. What is the gospel? The gospel is that you are so sinful, Jesus had to die for you. And you are so loved that he was glad to die for you. And so Paul says, before all the bad news, the good news of Romans 1.16. But let's say that while I'm out there by the road, I'm yelling. The bridge is out. I look horrible. My hair is just stuck to my head now. And my clothes are just matted to my body. And, and I'm, I'm yelling, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. And you go down the road and you look over and you see me. And your kids say, well, what is he talking about? <laughs> Ignore him. This is, this is 2016. They build bridges to last now. The bridge isn't out. Just one major storm took the bridge out. That's ridiculous. You exchange the truth of God for a lie. You decide to worship and serve yourself rather than God. What does God do? John Stott says this. God's wrath is not demonstrated by his intervention, but by his not intervening. God abandons stubborn sinners to their willful Self-centeredness. Do you know what God says? Jerry. Shh. And I step back. And the rain is coming down. And I watch. As you drive by. And I know what's about to happen. And I say nothing. That's God's wrath. God speaks. Oh, I'm too smart for that. I'm too smart for this Christian stuff. I I know better. I figured it all out. I've come to terms on my own. I figured it all out. Or no, 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 no. I'm not going to quit my life. I'm not going to give up my lifestyle. God says, okay. You see, it begins out here. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. The, The bridge is out. The, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. The bridge is out. And there's nothing.
You see, hell is not the activity of God. It's the absence of God. Hell is not God doing something. Hell is God doing nothing. You think it's bad here? Imagine a place where every semblance of good has been removed. Every good desire has been incinerated. And every body there only once what is good for them and bad for you. That, my friends, is hell. It is the complete silence, absence, activity of God and he steps back and he lets you self-destruct C.S. Lewis pictured it like a train. The train bound for hell pulls up and people can get off, but they don't want to. Why? They're having way too much fun. And so they stay. Jesus tells the story in Luke of the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man lifts up his eyes in hell. And Tim Keller aptly points out that never in the story does the rich man say, get me out of here. Why? Because when you're full of hell, heaven would be hell to you. The bridge is out. I would say to you this morning, if you sit here and you feel any urge any word, any voice, any voice from God convicting you of your sin, do not leave this place and rush headlong into eternity without Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel which says the bridge is out.
But Christ is the bridge. Lord, these people, this word is hard. But it is your word and it is good news. I pray for any lost people in the room this morning that they would come to know you, Jesus, as their Savior. May they hear the cry of this preacher, the bridge is out. May they not leave this place without assurance of their salvation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing. Alan Michael will be over here. I will be over here. If you're lost without Christ, do not delay this morning. Come, pray, receive Jesus.